have your Bibles, find Job 33. Job 33. Now I'm I'm sure all everybody here, with the exception of me, were just these perfect kids. And uh, you did everything right all during your childhood and you honored your mother and father in all things. I'm sure I'm the only one that's struggling in any way with that, right? One of, one of my favorite things to do, though, was to try to play that game where you would ask the one who you thought would give you the answer you wanted. And um, it, just, it just didn't work with my mom. And my mom, let's be honest. I know she might hear or see this one day. She was definitely the bigger pushover compared to my dad. But it just didn't work with her. And uh, I tried it for years. And no matter what you say to her, she'd say, ask your father. And I think they had conspired for us to be raised the right way or something in some aspects. I'll never forget I, when I finally gave up. Um, my dad was doing some long-haul truck driving. And uh, I went to my mom and said, it's just a perfect opportunity to get away with something. You know, daddy was going to be gone a while. You ought to know what I'm talking about, Michael. Daddy's going to be gone a while. Um, and so I asked my mom, she says, uh, uh, ask your father. And this is before mobile phones and texting and all this mess, you know. And I said, he, he, he won't be home for six weeks. She says, well, we'll ask him when he gets back. I said, it's this weekend. She says, I know, we'll ask him when he gets back probably the most diplomatic no I've ever heard in my life and probably the most final no. I mean, she said no in a very eloquent way. Isn't it our nature? Isn't it our nature to look for answers in an echo chamber? We want people to tell us what we want to hear. That usually is why we ascribe to the new services we ascribe to. We want somebody to come and say in a repetitive way what we've already formulated as our own opinion. And so um, it's very difficult for us as rebellious, broken human beings to endure someone telling us no or engaging with us in a way we hadn't even considered. We do it with one another and we really try to do it with God. And so what God is committed to doing, God is committed to finding that unique pathway of communication with you where he has your full attention so that he can do a work in you. That's what's going on in Job's life. I'm going to go ahead and ruin the story. I'm a spoiler alert. God is dealing with Job in a very personal and unique way, and he is finding a pathway to open Job up to hear from God. Let me catch us up to this moment. You guys know Job's story. He's, he's the greatest dude around. But that's relative, right? That's relative to the people around. And even great people who aren't just like Jesus are still on their way to true greatness. Let me say that again. Even great people who aren't just like Jesus are still a long ways from true greatness. But you know, Job is a great guy. He had 10 kids, had this very prosperous business. He's well-respected. He has a wonderful ministry, a wonderful reputation. 
And you guys know the story. You know what happens. All of it gets taken away by the hand of Satan at the permission of God. Let's don't miss that. By the hand of Satan at the permission of God. Wow. All ten kids are gone. All of his business is gone. All of his position in the community is gone. His health is gone. The only thing that it seems that God left to him was a wife. And the verdict's not in on how good of a gift that was. Along come some friends. And at first we hear about these three friends. And if you're familiar with the book of Job, they basically say the same thing, each one of them. They have the same conclusion and they say it in multiple ways over and over again. But this time of studying through Job, I came to a revelation I'd never realized. Every time the friends speak, they take turns, but their speeches get shorter and shorter until the third go-round, the third friend just doesn't say anything. It's almost like he's saying, you're not listening, so why am I talking? Those three friends seem to have an echo chamber going, and Job doesn't want to hear what they're saying, so it's like they give up. Well, in steps this fourth guy that we're going to begin hearing from tonight. He speaks for six chapters. Everyone just got nervous, right? Don't worry, we're not going to deal with all six chapters, praise God. This is, this is a younger guy. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me he's younger. So here's a, is a, is there's a sub-sermon, young folks. I've got a whole crowd of them from, from sort of tiny to real big tiny over there. And, and uh, you know, here's a lesson. Do a lot of listening before you do much of any speaking. There's a lesson to young folks. Elihu listens through all of this. Amen? But here's a lesson to us older folks. Just because somebody's young don't mean they don't have the best thing to say. Oh, how I love you. At home, that was Judah. Just in case you didn't know. I know you know, but just in case. There's some sub-sermons, but man, when he starts speaking, he brings a whole different tenor to things, a whole different message. The three friends have basically been saying, hey, Job, you've done something. Go ahead and confess. God is smushing you like a bug. He's waiting for you to get right. Job is simply saying, I don't know that I've done any wrong. He gets so worked up that he, he really becomes arrogant, to tell you the truth. I like that John MacArthur called it the residue of pride begins to surface. And he basically gets to this place where he says, I want God to come down here right now and give me an answer. I like to see God show up but I don't know if I want to be in a Jobian position to request it. So in steps Elihu, and he has a message that is really different. I, I dare say that some of you guys are going to asterisk this passage before the night's over because it's going to disturb you. And some of you are going to, going to asterisk this passage or underline it because it's going to open up some understanding about a lot of life to you. Elihu's message is different from the other three friends because Elihu comes in and says, maybe there's another reason why you're going through this suffering. It's not that those guys were wrong about everything. It's they were wrong about this thing. Let me say that again. It's not that they were wrong about everything. They were wrong about this thing. And Elihu opens it up to us. Many of us watch news or we listen to friends and it's not that they're wrong about everything but sometimes 
we'll take the counsel we want to hear and refuse the counsel we don't want to hear. And sometimes we'll write people off because they've been wrong once. What we should be committed to is no matter who we're dealing with and in what situation we're in, we should be committed to per, per, pursuing truth even if it's painful. And Elihu comes in and brings just that message to Job. With all that as a background, let me speak very briefly on a few verses in Job 33. Job 33, verse 14. For God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. In a dream and a vision of the night when deep sleep falls on men while they slumber on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings that he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. He keeps back his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. Man is also rebuked with pain on his bed and with continual strife in his bones. Father, open this word to us that your people may gain an understanding that radically alters how we hear from you. In Jesus we pray, amen. Let me jump right to it. Job here describes two ways that people often hear from God. In a vision in the night and in bed and, and in pain. In a vision in the night and in pain. Now you got to remember, this is before we had the written canon of the word. All they had was the discerned revelation from God. And so Elihu begins to give some, some, some body to this discerned revelation. And what he's saying is, you know, hey folks, when God's giving you dreams and visions, he's talking to you. And when God gives you pain, he's talking to you. And in verse 14, he basically says, hey, God is talking to you, and you just don't get it a lot of times. This is really critical, because a lot of times we feel like God is silent in our life, and what Elihu is saying is, God is not silent. You're not perceiving how he's speaking. I'll never forget, I landed in La Paz, and if anybody's ever been to uh, Bolivia, you'll know that you land in La Paz, you land on top of the mountain, but most of the city's down in the valley, and it's a marked difference in the temperature. And I landed with shorts on because I had looked up the temperature in the city, not at the airport, and it was cold. And I walked outside. I mean, I had all these bags and stuff. I was carrying all this material. I walked outside of the airport, and the first thing I did was stepped in ice and busted my behind. And this little man just looks at me, and he says something in just very fast Spanish. And, uh, and I looked at the, the other guy, and like, what did he say? And he said, uh, oh, he says, you, you failed. I'm like, oh, I know. I translated that before he spoke. Most of the time we hear something and we want a translation because we didn't understand it. I understood that before I heard it. Usually, usually God has been speaking before the pain has come. Pain is the message being reiterated, re-revealed. Elihu comes to his friend here. And you know what he reveals to him? He says, God uses visions and pains. That's what he says. God uses visions and pain. Now, what's different about Elihu's message at this point than all the other guys? They says, you have pain because you've been bad. God said, uh, excuse me, Elihu is saying, God is trying to tell you, you don't have to be bad for God to use pain to speak. I don't know who needs that, but somebody needs that. God does chasten whom he loves. And God will, God will allow both the supernatural effects of sin and the natural effects of sin to visit a sinner. 
And that's what Job's been saying all along. He said, what did I do? What did I do? His friends said, you've done something. You better get right. Elihu steps in and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God uses pain, even in the life of the righteous. This is critical. Now, God uses visions. And before you say, give me the vision over the pain, did you notice that the vision could be terrifying? <laughs> it's like, he'll give you this vision tonight, and it's terrifying. But still, wouldn't you rather have a terrifying vision in the night than pain all day long? I would even say today that if, that if, that if Elihu stepped into our scene and spoke to us, he would say it like this. He would say, for God speaks in one way and in two and in three and in four. Say, Tim, what do you mean? Okay, I might even say five. I definitely say four. He still speaks in visions and dreams. He has less need of them now because we have the canon. But he still does. And he uses pain. He still uses pain. Ask any believer who has really met God in sweetness through the terrible uh, ordeal of pain. Told you guys about me getting burned. I still look at it as one of the sweetest times of my life. I really do. One of the sweetest times in my entire life. God also uses the body of Christ, indwelt with the Spirit. They didn't have that then. The Spirit would come and speak to a man. Now the Spirit is speaking from within men and to men. It's, it's amazing. So God comes and he speaks. And he speaks in one way, in visions, and in two ways, in pain, and in three ways, through the canon, in four ways, through his church, and in the fifth way, the Spirit dealing with you uniquely. And I would wager to say that God wants to bring all of these methods of communication down on the body of Christ because of the reasoning Elihu opens to us. Look at verse 17. That, if, that, that he may turn man aside from his deed. In other words, if we ain't going to exactly the way God wants us to go, he starts speaking to us. And then secondly, to conceal pride from a man. So God does not only use these things, pain and visions, to punish, but also to save. I've told this story, I don't know, probably a thousand times. I, I'll never forget, if you've ever been to my house, the, what is the living room now, used to be a carport, and when, when it was first closed in, we just closed it in and threw carpet on concrete. Now it's level with the house, I'll never forget. We had the, the, the outdoor steps are still inside that house, they're just under the floor. But you could see those brick steps as you come into a sliding glass door in our house. I'll never forget, Katie and I were opening mail, and, and Katie, you know, I'm, I'm getting her little lunch ready, and and I, I look around the corner there and down at her and, and she's headed toward the, the socket, the electrical socket with, with a letter opener. And, and you know, you may be an electrician, you may say, well, it wasn't gonna hurt her. I thought it was gonna hurt her. So I leaped over that rail. I could do that then. Katie's now 100. That was a long time ago. And I, I basically tackled her and I, and I scared her and I upset her and I hurt, hurt her a little bit. In my mind, in my, my dad's mind, like I was willing to inflict some pain to keep back some worse pain. This is the essence of what God is saying here with the righteous. I'm going to direct you and I'm going to keep you out of worse danger. What's the worst danger? That you're away from me or that you miss me. And Elihu steps in and says, look, there's a worse danger we need to deal with. And he's preaching to, to Job, and he's preaching to all Job's friends. And he's saying, have you guys even considered this? 
I've given you the points. Let me move toward a close by making a couple points from over in chapter 36. I'll make them quick. Look in Job 36. It's really critical. Uh, look, at, look down at verse 5. Behold, God is mighty and does not despise any. He is mighty in strength of understanding. You see how critical the Bible views bringing God's understanding into a situation is. Now get this. You ready? Look at verse 6. He does not keep the wicked alive, but gives the afflicted their right. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but with kings on the throne, he sets them forever, and they are exalted. Now get this. And if they are bound in chains, you see this conditionary. If they are bound in chains and caught in the cords of affliction, then he declares to them their work and their transgressions, that they are behaving arrogantly. He opens the ears to instruction and commands that they return from iniquity. I want you to see something before we finish up. He's saying, like, what is he doing through pain and affliction? He's opening your ears. My brother's sitting here. You can ask him after the service. He'll tell you my, my dad had a saying. He, he would say, uh, he, he would tell us, he says, you ain't hearing me with your ears, so I'm going you to make you hear through your behind. I'll never forget, this was before Ferris Bueller ever came out. If you're familiar with that movie, I've done the whole thing where... I'm going to drive his truck, wash and wax it, and have it back, mark the tires where I drove off. He'll never know a thing. I never even thought about the mileage. I got away with everything but that mileage. He didn't even have to say the message. He just came in and started whooping on me. He was opening my ears, apparently saying, don't drive my truck. didn't work. So what does God do? God gives us plain instruction. A lot of times it's not working. Or a lot of times we walk with God and we get haughty. You remember the rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus and he goes, Hey, what do I got to do? And Jesus gives him some stuff. He says, I got it on lock. And then Jesus brings up one more thing. This is what I believe John MacArthur was talking about, that residue of pride. He wants that believer fully sanctified. He wants all impediments to worship and all impediments to, as John Piper would say, all impediments to treasuring Jesus. He wants them driven out like dross. So what will he do? He will speak and open understanding. And what is he doing when he's doing this? He's opening our ears so we can understand. For the righteous, it's unto righteousness. For the unrighteous, it's unto salvation. You might say, what's he doing in the life of a believer with pain, with trouble, with affliction, with calamity? He is sanctifying us. What's he doing in an unbeliever? He's bringing them to a place of a conversation where he might save them. Those last few verses that I want to share from Job 36, pick it up in verse 10. I want to read it again. He opens their ears to instructions and commands that they return from iniquity. Listen to this, church. Verse 11. If they listen and serve him, they complete their days in prosperity and their years in pleasantness. But if they do not listen, they perish by the sword and die without knowledge. The godless in heart cherish anger. They do not cry for help when he binds them. They die in youth and their life ends among the cult prostitutes. What a phrase. He delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ears by adversity. He also allured you out of distress into a broad place where there was no cramping. And what was set out on your table was full of fatness. I want you guys, if you can, if you can't go there, just listen close to me. To remember how I opened tonight's service in Psalm 118. I told you it would sound strange until the end. 
Psalm 118, verse 17, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. This is the story of Job. If you want to be, if you want to be a spirit-led believer, don't live in an echo chamber. If you want to understand the trouble in your life, then start to understand that some of it is a result of sin. Somebody say amen. Some of it is a result of sin. Uh, silly example I always give of that. Like if you're speeding and you get a ticket for speeding, don't say nobody was persecuting you. You're getting what you earned. Some of our pain, some of our suffering is a result of sin. But sometimes God is opening our ears. And the Bible is just stone cold clear on that. As difficult as it is to receive, the Bible's clear on it. What will he do? In the righteous, he'll strike us, but he won't forsake us. In other words, there's life beyond this life. That's why in Job 19, Job would say, Though he slay me, what church? Yet will I praise him. That's why he will say, My Redeemer lives. In other words, there's somebody who is alive, who is able to buy me out of this mess. Elihu steps into this, this, this scene, and what's different about his message is that sometimes God brings pain to the righteous, and he has a purpose for it. Nothing is wasted. If you need a fresh reminder of that, go look up that Shane and Shane song with John Piper preaching in the middle of it. It's just a... This is brilliant. It's brilliant. Just look it up. Nothing gets wasted in glory. The reason I believe the Holy Spirit led me to Job is because right now we are falling for the temptation to get bitter about what governments and in, in, uh, institutions are doing. And the, the more profitable question is, what is God doing in the midst of this? You know what he's done? He's put moms and dads back at home more at night. He's caused us to, he shut down our hobbies and our distractions and given us a chance to be families in a fresh way. He's closed down our ability even to run out and sit down at somebody else's table and challenge us to sit down at our own table. He shut off ball teams and sports. Praise God. Y'all been paying attention to me at East Rock for years. You know I've been praying for it. What do y'all want me to pray for for y'all? I've been praying for that. If you know me at all, I've been praying God would shut down sports. I'm feeling strong all of a sudden. And we keep saying, what is this governor or that president or this institution or that department saying? I, I want us to ask, what is God saying? What is God doing through this calamity? It's more fruitful and productive. I believe he's opening our ears and trying to get us to listen in a fresh way. What's he saying to you, man? What's he saying to you about leading and loving your family in these days? What's he saying to you about your willingness to, to lead family devotions and worship in your home? What's he saying to you about oh, how much of your faith is still left when you can't meet in the building you connect your faith to? Am I making sense to anybody? And I, I, zero arrogance, zero arrogance. Dale's looking at me, so I'm going to use you, Dale. Dale, I got zero arrogance when I say this. 
I think he's showing it. Does 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 Governor Cooper or President Trump run our church, or does does the Holy Spirit run our church? Wow, are we listening? You know, one of the things, and and I say, you know, how that Avet Brothers song says, Andrew, it says the kind of not the kind of pride in the Bible that's bad. You know, I, I'm saying the good kind of pride. I'm so we we have actually touched base more as a congregation during this time than we were before. Every week we've been finding out, hey, where are you going to be this weekend? And people have been responding. They've actually been saying rather than just not showing up. We, well, I'm going to be here. I'll be doing this. I'll be at home. I'll be with family. I'll be vacating. That's led us to know as elders how to pray for more, how to care for the flock more. I want to be like little Samuel, right? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What we see through Elihu's ministry to Job is that God will use pain. God will use calamity. God will use it to open our ears. But then there's this question. Are we listening? Are we ready for the residue of pride or whatever to be driven out of us? It's a good question in the church. I'm going to leave you with a threefold invitation. Number one, just like, seriously, are you listening? Are you listening? Number two, are you treasuring Jesus or your version of Jesus? See, I don't feel persecuted that, that, that a restaurant has been inaccessible. Because my version of Jesus is not, he's neutral on whether I go to restaurants or not. <laughs> so when you take restaurants away, for example, me and that Jesus I got are still good to go. When you take going to a concert away, me and that Jesus are still good to go. When you take uh, being able to watch Virginia win another national championship away, me and that Jesus are still good to go. You, you see what I'm saying? But if you got a version of Jesus who is a butler and a waiter who's bringing you all these American things to make you comfortable, and when those American things get pulled away, it feels like someone's messed with your Jesus. So are you treasuring Jesus for real? And then thirdly, what in the world are you going to do if you're not? What a question, right? Oh, Joey, I've done it again. Someone find an extra element and bring me one. Please, I beg you. Man, I'm a loser. Peter, you're the man. You know, um, everybody in my house cooks. Anybody else like that? I, I really hope not all y'all are leaving it on one person, regardless of gender or whatever. I hope, I hope everybody's cooking. Well, the problem is we use each other's ingredients, and you get in the middle of cooking something. And you, you know, you remember buying X, and you go to do your thing, and X is gone. Like whoa. So we're always texting each other in our family, do we have such and such, right? The thing, the thing about taking a hard inventory, if you're not used to it, is a lot of times we take it in the middle of, of cooking life, and some ingredient gets left out that makes life hard to swallow. What we're going through is a hard inventory. That's why I'm very committed to this congregation regularly taking the Lord's Supper during this time. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, 
it was during the Passover meal when they were celebrating how God delivered them out of the hand of Pharaoh and out of slavery. And the Bible tells us he, he took the bread and he gave thanks. Father, we thank you for the body of Jesus, who on the night he instituted this, they had no clue what he meant. But we look back and we know that he gave his body on the tree. He became sin who knew no sin so that your wrath could be poured out on him and we could become the righteousness of God. Father, we thank you for the body of Jesus. Bible says that likewise he took the cup and after giving thanks he said this is my this is the blood this is my blood this is the this is the sign of the new covenant let me ask y'all a question anybody here ever you know you ever like just said I don't feel very Christian right now anybody ever been there probably somebody today right <laughs> you ever been frustrated or something and afterwards you go man I don't feel very Christian right now when I have moments like that, thank God for the Holy Spirit. He'll bring me back to the covenant and say, you were never very Christian because you were very Christian. You were brought in this thing and you were signed, sealed, and delivered by the blood of Jesus and you belong on his merit. So when I take, when I take this, I remember that it's a, it's a done deal on his merit. And while I'm not feeling very Christian, God is still acting on our favor in Christ. Hallelujah and praise God. Thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus that's good enough, that is, that is necessary for our sins, sufficient for our sins, and always good even when we are not. Thank you for the blood. Father, as we wrestle with the truth found in Job, may we wrestle with the Jesus who loved Job too. For we know that where we are weak, he is strong. And where we, we know where we are not able, he is more than able. So that we may be more than conquerors through him who loved us. In Christ we pray. Amen and amen.